0: Father in heaven, for these next few moments, we invite your spirit to be with us. Lord, we pray that you will guide our thoughts wherever we may be. We pray that each of us will have an encounter with you as we encounter your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In February of 1944... Hanson Bordwin wrote an article in the New York Times, and in that article, he remarked, the coming invasion of Western Europe will be the acid test of the Allied strategy and of the Anglo-American military systems. Baldwin understood well that this launch into Europe would be a strategic structure in the course of World War II, and he realized that it would fall or stand on these beaches of Europe. Baldwin understood that this battle would illuminate the Allies' strengths and also reveal their weaknesses. And so he titled his article, Allies Facing Acid Test. What's an acid test? Well, the original acid test was uh, what all subsequent writers refer to, and it happened in the late 19th century, and it relied on nitric acid's ability to dissolve other metals at a pace slower than that of gold. So imagine if, for example, in 1847, you were a prospector in Mariposa, California. And after a day of panning, you had some stone in your pan and you wanted to find out is this real gold or is this false gold or is this something completely different? You would take the nugget of gold and you would scrape it along a black stone, leaving a mark. You would then apply nitric acid to it and see how quickly it dissolved the mark, and then you would be able to ascertain. Through this acid test, whether what you had was gold and indeed valuable. Thereafter, the acid test became synonymous with a conclusive test that reveals the value or the true nature of a thing. And we all encounter moments of reckoning in our life, acid test moments, if you will. Perhaps for you, an acid test was the day that you got on one knee, stilled your beating heart, took a deep breath and asked her to marry you. It was a moment where your commitment to one another was tested. For some of you, it was the first day of operating your own company. You had scrimped and saved, you had borrowed and pinched, and you needed to make sure that your company was healthy. And so you understood the liquidity acid test in that you had to make sure that all of your current liabilities as a company was sufficient to pay with its current assets. It was an acid test for your company's health. For others of you, perhaps it was when you were seven years old and a friend came up to you in recess and then made you pinky swear not to give away the secret they were about to tell you. It was an acid test for your confidentiality to know if your friend could trust you in the future to reveal more truth and more knowledge to you. And for those of you who are runners, you recognize that uh, Iliad Kipchoge, that incredible Kenyan runner in Vienna in 2019 faced an acid test that all runners heretofore had said was impossible to conquer when he challenged himself to run a sub two-hour marathon. It was an acid test for the endurance and the indomitable spirit of humans. Vili Kivoli speaks this way because I think as apprentices of Jesus, we have to recognize that there is an acid test that all of us also go through, which for us is loving like Jesus. And Vili Cavillo puts it this way, love is at the heart of life with Jesus. It is a defining word in our talk about God. It is the most central word used to express our way of being with other people. And Jesus puts it succinctly in a couple of different ways. Before we get to the first one in Matthew chapter 22, let me read another one, which I think encapsulates this acid test that apprentices of Jesus must submit to. It's found in the book of John, John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. And Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. And then listen to Jesus in verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, my method, my apprentices, my students. By this, all men will know you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. And in another place, In response to a question, Jesus Christ distills all of the law into one sentence, and he says this in Matthew 22, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, interesting that Jesus said there is only one, then he gives two. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The apostle Paul puts this acid test this way in Ephesians chapter five, one and two. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. What Paul says is that we are called and enabled by God in this acid test to be successful, to love as God loves. And in another place, Paul says this, the goal of our instruction is love. And remember, being an apprentice is patterning your life after your master or after Rabbi Jesus. And Paul picking that language up of apprenticeship and discipleship says the goal of our instruction, because it is a journey of a lifetime, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. What you will notice with me is that for Paul, love is the ultimate pinnacle. It is the end goal for all of those who hear him preach. When Paul preaches to the churches, when he sends epistles, he is not simply trying to give them new information. He's not simply trying to give them prepositions about the gospel. Paul is not simply trying to make them smarter about the things of God. Paul has an ultimate goal, and for Paul, that goal is love. It is the final goal for all of us who call ourselves apprentices of Jesus. It is the final goal of practicing the way. But often, when we explore this topic of love as Christians, we either think that it is um, so infantile, that it's the milk, that it's something that has already been done and does not need to be recapped. Or for others of us who recognize that love really is not this romantic, watered-down thing that we have heard in our culture, but it actually demands something from us. Any topic or any conversation in which we explore love makes us grit our teeth and clench our fists because we are waiting for the subsequent action, the imperative action that comes from us understanding what love is. And we say, there is no way, there is no way that I will be able to live to love like Jesus. There is no way that I can become a person of love. And for many of us, the reason it's so difficult is because we carry wounds with us. We have faces in our mind of people who have wounded us. We have organizations in our memory who have disappointed us. We remember public officials who promised one thing but delivered another. And when we think about having to muster love for those people, it seems like an insurmountable task. And so nobody wants to hear about love? Who wants to hear about loving others and loving well when you have just faced rejection from someone who did not reciprocate the love that you gave to them? To be asked to be loving then for some of us as we listen seems to be wholly unrealistic and we would rather pass over it and just continue to accrue God knowledge and Bible knowledge, but not have our lives reflect the love of Jesus. Now, when we talk about love, I don't know about you, but I will often think of a few passages. We will th- I will think of the passage in Corinthians, which talks about what love is. I think about the passage in Galatians, which tells us about the fruit of the spirit, because we immediately go to think about the acts of love. And so for example, we'll go to Galatians and we'll start to think about the ways in which uh, Paul, in- Paul calls us to have the fruit of the spirit. So we'll think about love and we'll think, well, it's a to-do list, just like Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. And let me go there and read that for you to remind you. I'm sure for many of you, this is a text that you grew up learning when you were in kindergarten or when you were going to Sabbath school. And so this is what Paul says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And we have to resist the temptation when we read passages like this, or we read Paul's injunction in Corinthians to turn it into a to-do list, something that you must do. Because when we do that, we then turn around and we start to pray, Lord, make me patient. Lord, help me to be kind. Lord, help me not to be angry at my brother. Lord, help me to do the right thing. Help me not to dishonor my colleagues. But this way, my friends, is not what God is calling us to, and neither is it the way of Jesus. What do I mean? It is the way of futility and disappointment. To try to order our life according to the imperatives of living the way of Jesus, i.e. the actions and the acts is going to leave to us being frustrated because I don't know about you, but if I try to grip my teeth and muster the strength simply to have loving acts, I find myself often failing and failing miserably. But what Paul says if we remember uh, his words to us in Ephesians and in Timothy, is that love springs from a pure heart. Love is the source and love is not simply the action. So for example, we could read Galatians, the fruit of the spirit, and we could go back with new eyes, thinking about being apprenticed to Jesus and becoming people of love. And we could say this, Joy is love rejoicing. Peace is love at rest. Patience is love waiting. Kindness is love interacting. Goodness is love initiating. Faithfulness is love keeping its word. Gentleness is love empathizing. Self-control is love resisting temptation. What Paul says is not, hey, Ethan, hey, Bethany, hey, Jeremiah, be patient, be kind, be humble. But Paul rather locates the outward virtues of faithfulness, of gentleness, of self-control, of all of these virtues. He locates these outward virtues in the inward experience which is sourced through love. For Paul, love springs up from our heart and does a subterranean work inside of us that brings transformation so that the acts of our life can then look and mimic the fruits of the Spirit. The truth, my friends, is, and I'm sure you don't even need to tell me this because it it resonates with you already, is that we cannot just grit our teeth and try harder to be people of love. We cannot just grit our teeth and try harder to love the person who has taken up permanent residence, who has a zip code, who has a mailing box on your very last nerve. And you know who that person is. You cannot grit your teeth and all of a sudden change your feelings toward them. But it is only through the power of the spirit forming us, working in the subterranean parts of our character, forming us in the way of Jesus that we can become the kind of person that loves them. We cannot just love people by ourselves. Rather, we must become the kind of person that would be able to love those who live on your last nerve. The way of Jesus is this in Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I think this is an interesting passage because if we look at it closely, we recognize that out of his love, God acted for the good of those within his range. This is a definition of love. And the range of all of those that God can act toward for their good is the entire world. And that's why in John three sixteen we find that God so loved the world that he gave through an act of other-centered love, his son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life so that they can have good done to them. And so Jesus teaches us that to love like him, to love like Jesus means that we don't come to our neighbor, we don't come to our enemy, We don't come to the person on our last nerve. We don't come to the person who has wounded us. We don't come to the person who has caused us what feels like insurmountable pain. We don't come to the places of woundedness in our life and then try to love them. Listen carefully. We don't come and try to love. Rather, we must come as a loving person. And there is a difference. We do not achieve the disposition of agape love by our direct effort, but we achieve it by attending to and putting into place the conditions out of which love arises. When we attend to the source of our action, the sources, when we attend to the sources of our action, our actions will naturally take care of themselves. Let me explain what I mean. And so uh, my neighbor who lives just across me has a plum tree. And I've watched through the long, lazy days of summer as that plum tree grew fruit. I watched as children who were giggling and happy and delighted at the abundance that the plum tree uh, gave go and pluck and eat. I watched friends of his come, invited to come and taste the fruit of the plum tree. I watched those who were opportunistic walk past and grab some, probably without permission. Now, I haven't watched my neighbor and I certainly don't stalk him, but I am pretty sure my neighbor does not wake up in the middle of the night. And while no one is looking, take a needle and thread, walk to his plum tree and begin to sow leaves onto the branches. I'm sure, although I haven't paid attention, that my neighbor does not take plums that he has bought from Andy's Market or from Safeway and superglue them to the tree so that they can look like they are producing fruit. He does not focus on the fruit. Okay, Andreas, I think I understand what you're saying, but what does he then do? I think what happened is that once upon a time, My neighbor or perhaps the person who lived there before him dug a hole, brought the tree, put the tree in the hole, filled it with soil, added fertilizer, added water, tended and created the conditions so that this tree would naturally produce fruit, so that this tree would naturally produce plums. Often when we talk about being loving Christians, when we talk about being people of love, we get the order wrong because we start to think and force ourselves to have loving acts, and it cannot happen. What Jesus is inviting us into when we are apprentices is to become people of love. Jesus wants us to recognize that love is the root and love is not the fruit. Jesus wants us to recognize that love is chiefly not something you choose to do, but what you choose to be. And I think this is the acid test. This is the bottom line, that love is not something you choose to do, but what you choose to be. It is the overall condition, the embodied experience of our lives, of our habits, of our characters. It is us promoting the good of others who are in the range of our influence. And when we choose to be people of love, we will naturally be people who do acts of love that affect our neighbors and our community for good. And so the choice is ours. What do you choose today? What do you choose during this election season as our nation stands on the precipice of naked partisan rage? What do you choose today as your family grapples with their difficult situation and with behavior that is problematic in one of your number that is causing you to be stretched to the limits of your patience and of your love. What do you choose today? What do you choose today as you think about a crucial conversation that you need to have on Monday with a colleague who has been exhibiting behavior that has caused you to be infuriated? What do you choose? Because you cannot manufacture love any more than you can stick and sow leaves and trees to a plum tree, but you can cultivate the conditions out of which love will grow and out of which we can become people of love, out of which we can love like Jesus. And this is why it's important, although this is not a linear process, to go back and to see that being apprentices of Jesus is about patterning our life in a new way, in a way that the world will say it's impossible because the world will tell you that if you are hit, you punch back. That if someone does something to you, you seek revenge. That if someone takes something from you, you take it back and you take more. That you don't let anyone walk over you. And the way of Jesus and the way of love sometimes seems at odd with it. Although love is not weak and love does not let itself be taken advantage of. But the choice still is yours. Now I will say this that walking in the way of love can begin today for you, regardless of where you find yourself in your stage of apprenticeship, in in your stage of following Jesus, whether you were baptized last week, whether you've been in the church for 70 years, whether you are undecided about whether you will follow Jesus, the choice remains. The kingdom is open. What Jesus proclaimed, that the kingdom of the heavens is open, is true today. For those of us in Walla Walla, on a rainy Saturday, the kingdom of God is open. The choice to become a person of love can begin today. And I'm going to invite you, if you want to make that decision, with a small practice as a first step in that journey, because this journey of following Jesus is, as I've repeated over and over again, the journey of a lifetime. It is a journey that can sometimes feel like you take one step forward and sometimes you're taking two steps back. But it is a journey that empowered by the indwelling spirit can bring true and lasting transformation. And so in the week to come, as you sit each day with Jesus, as you contemplate on his word, as you spend time in prayer, What I want you to do is to bring to mind the person that lives on your last nerve. I want you to bring to mind the neighbor or the person that you would even call an enemy, who you find difficult to will their good, and to bring them before God and to hold them before God. And to use the language that is used often here at Walla Walla at the university to recognize that they are a person of inestimable value and to look at them and to see them in the same way that God does as an object of his desire and of his love. That's it, you don't need to will yourself. You don't need to try to manufacture any feelings but simply hold them in your time of prayer and to ask God to start the inward work and transformation, create the conditions out of which love can spring and out of which you can then be a person of love. So that one day, and this is going to sound crazy, but one day you might even be the kind of person that Jesus said would bless their enemy. The kind of person who can disagree strenuously with someone and still pray for their good and work for their good within the range of your influence. And imagine what difference it will be if we are able to seek the good of others under the invocation of God. Imagine the difference it will make in our families as we live together. Imagine the difference it will make in our community as we live our day to day lives. Imagine the difference it would make for a nation. If right here in Walla Walla, we have people practicing the way of Jesus, people becoming people of love, people loving like Jesus. It's possible. The kingdom is here. Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you, and we're so glad you worshipped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you are joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.